Let's go. Hello, and welcome to Sustain Open Source Design. Is it Sustain Our Design? No, it's Sustain Open Source Design. Yes, yes. Sustain Open Source Design. SOS. <laughs> what are you <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sustain Open Source Design, a series of conversations about the confluence of creativity, design, and open source within a podcast format. For today's conversation, we have Pablo Mungis. Pablo, hello. Welcome. Hello. Hello, Mema. How are you doing? Doing great. And I have some pals co-hosting this podcast with me, Django. Hey, Mama. How's it going? Nice to have you on, Pablo. Thank you. What's up? And peace, Ojeme. What's up? Hi. Pablo, nice to have you on. I'm space. I see you again. Great. Amazing. So... Pablo, as some of our listeners know, we have previous recording with folks that work at Kaleidos as well. We love your work. We have had here Andres, for example, focusing more on the UX side. So right now we have like a senior executive of Kaleidos, mm -hmm. CEO of Kaleidos, and I'd love to have your perspective on a more like decision-making side of things when it comes to growing creative businesses, especially within the open source world. How is it to lead a company like Kaleidos? Well, it's a bit tough because it's one of those kind of singularities. You have to do a kind of everything perfect. You have to have a perfect open source product, a vibrant, engaged, perfect community. In terms of resources, you don't really have the capacity, you know, like of big organizations. So you have to have like the perfect talent. And then on top of that, you have to make sure you're sustainable. So you have to have kind of a perfect business model that makes sense for everything I just talked about. Everyone has to feel aligned with that. Starting with the employees, which is one of the cool things I like about Kaleidos is that the red lines that some people think will be put by the community or the users, in our case, it's the employees that are the first ones to actually very explicitly set them up. Like it's like, we're not going to do this. Actually, we're going to focus on this. So it's quite a challenge to satisfy your own peers, let alone the overall audience, you know, your user base, contributors, etc. I mean, to be honest, this is what I want to do to be part of this. And I think, as you, you mentioned, senior management or something like that, but I think different way to put it is that, yeah, I'm the CEO, but in a way I'm just playing a different role. It's just my talent goes into that bucket, but it's not necessarily more important than designers or developers like Kaleidos or social media specialists or communication specialists or community advocates. We just perform where we think we believe we do our best. So in this case, I'm the CEO and doing CEO stuff. Yeah. Very interested by that because it sounds like contribution-based model. I mean, you contribute with CEO tasks and someone else contributes <laughs> with design. How's that structure operating within Kaleidos and, and the products you maintain? Like how's open source being operating? 
Probably I'm, I'm just putting words in your mouth, calling it open source. Probably it's something else inside your culture. Probably if you go to the roots, you would say a open collaboration model, the likes of science or the idealized science, right? I am a science nerd. That's my background in physics and computer science. And I always thought that when people work together and they honestly, you know, are generous with their talent and time and everything, great things happen. So open source is just one of those implementations. It just happens to occur in the software industry. The company level, I think there's a strong correlation with that. So you contribute and there are many different ways that you can contribute. But I think that's basically, it's like about honesty, generosity, empathy, respect, utmost respect, and also giving a credit where it's due and autonomy. And in a way, Kaleidos is built with this lean principle of autonomous teams. So you would have the Taiga team, so that's the agile project management software. Then you have the Penpot team, and then you have the community team, where I'm at. And these three teams, two product teams and one kind of horizontal team, really work autonomously and and then enjoy the fruits of all the team's labor. And we have this fluid conversation where we make sure that we don't interfere, but rather just benefit and productively exchange ideas with other teams. And I think there's a way to scale up also in terms of an organization to have kind of independent teams that then are interconnected through values and principles that are non-negotiable. That is fundamental. That's why probably we tend to have these long recruiting processes because it's not easy to find people that could actually very well suit into ethos. But it's the only way we can build a successful company. So yeah, I contribute with my business strategic decision, whatever, and make sure perhaps that different teams are more aligned but without forcing them into doing that, just it has to be co-owned by every single member of the team. That's my talent and I put it to work. You mentioned cultural aspects within mm. Kaleidos. You mentioned that the team itself will set those non-negotiable rules. So I'm interested in how these rules have been evolving because I think they always do. And yeah. especially in a project like Kaleidos. I think it all stems from a motto that you can find on our website, colleges.net, where we say technology is not neutral and neither are we. What that means is that we have strong opinions. <laughs> we have strong opinions about technology and about technology meeting society. But I have to admit that those opinions have changed over time. So I don't think the same I did back in 2011 where we co-founded Kaleidos, 14 of us. I wouldn't say I'm embarrassed at what I thought back then, but I'm really happy that I evolved. So I think the culture in Kaleidos is about having strong opinions, achieving relevant consensus, like quality consensus, but also being able to evolve through the interaction with other peers that you respect. Not necessarily people like-minded, this is very important. And I think through that, we have kind of optimized, let's say, a process where mostly every year we kind of redefine ourselves. We take the opportunity to, you know, meet, have this offsite event and make sure that we tackle on the tough conversations like the elephants in the room and whatnot. And so that we just keep evolving. So we have strong opinions, but they might differ. I think other companies or the teams, organizations tend to have a more top-down no? strategy where there's some leadership and everyone has to 
sort of buy into it. But here, when I go to these events or the senior management, Kaleidos go to these events, we have just one vote, one voice, and we make sure that we are as equally important as the person that just joined Kaleidos yesterday. Which means that some people won't like to join the company because they prefer to just perform a task. But here you're expected to do much more. In a way, you have to co-lead. But I think if you co-lead, you eventually co-own, right? Project. So we have this kind of white book, white paper on Kaleidos. It's in Spanish. Unfortunately, it's being translated. But there you should be able to find all these kind of processes and methodologies and things about Kaleidos. Kind of a blueprint for us, but also for the companies perhaps to take what they need from it. But yeah, it's important to continue to evolve because some principles and values, I think, stay solid. But then there's some the nuances or new approaches do change and have to change. I know building a company, building a team, building a startup, building anything is literally like one of the most difficult things that anybody could do. Because it consumes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of mental tags. You also have to be very good with your relationship with people and stuff. I'm curious to know what type of challenges you face building pinpoints and coming into like a space where there are already like bigger players, like non-open source tools for sure, but there are already players like Figma and the rest of them in the space. How has that been so far? So earlier I said. We are at the crossroads of everything has to be perfect. It's particularly challenging when you demand from yourself that you don't quickly follow shortcuts. So I think that the toughest of all is not taking shortcuts, it's staying true to your values. Like for instance, we are actually this week, we opened up the new Taiga repos. So the Taiga Next, that's the code name for the next major release of Taiga. And one of the things that we showcase for the upcoming Taiga project is 100% accessible. That definitely is not taking a shortcut. It takes a toll and it's fractal, actually, if you go that route. But you don't want to portray yourself it's so easy to do that just because there is this pressure of the markets, pressure of releasing stuff, pressure from a business perspective. The incentive, the monetary incentives are not there for you to go 100% accessible. Just, unfortunately, that's the truth. And yet we do it. So I think that's the toughest app for a company. From a company perspective is say, I'm going to handicap myself <laughs> on purpose, knowingly, and yet hope for the best. And then you have all the typical challenges of a company, logistics, bureaucracy, and making sure you have a yeah, sustainable business model, that you recruit the right talent, that you let go the wrong talent, and that you pursue your principles and values. And they're not just some nice words on our website. Sometimes we think, wow, we are really making the whole journey so hard. Nobody asked us to do this. And yet here we are taking it so seriously. It could become stopping point. But I think there's one underlying principle that we have at Kaleidos. And this will probably sound even naive, but it's like we know how much privilege we are enjoying. If anyone can take this risk, definitely it's us. We don't need to live in the richest suburb of any big city in the US, we have enough privilege, believe me, here in Madrid in Spain. 
to just try this the right way. So I think having no fear of the consequences of even the worst outcome is the perfect fuel to make sure that we don't take shortcuts. I think that's incredible to stick to your guns that hard and to acknowledge that while it is a risk, it's something that has a significantly phenomenal reward when we stick to our the values that we set out for ourselves. When you mentioned making pen pot, for example, like 100% accessible, you said, what does that look like? What is the sort of work that goes into building something that meets the standards of 100% accessible, which I'm assuming could mean that anyone theoretically can use it? What sort of work goes into that? Perhaps I said pen pot. I meant Taiga with the upcoming release and everything. Oh, but Pembot is also trying to achieve a very decent accessibility level, but we wouldn't be able to promise 100%. Yeah, harder with a design tool, right? It is so much harder with a design tool. And yet I think the answer is it would be the same. It is considering accessibility as a feature, as a benefit that has to be part of any single user story you see the worth of developing for a product. It is going and saying, this is not an afterthought, this is not a patch, this is part of a better product. And I think other people will say, oh, that reminds me of performance or slickness or, I don't know, responsive design or whatever. Okay, that's fine. We add to that list, it has to be accessible. Otherwise, it's a subpar product. We don't do that. Having said that, Tiger has is a top challenge in doing that because you have to do with screen readers, you have to do and the way you structure the whole page has to convey meaning to whatever other software is traversing, parsing it. But also the keyboard shortcuts need not to be just cool, nice key bindings for people that love keyboard, but actually a complete functional interface to your software. And actually even sometimes be a better alternative to the mouse. If you go to PenPod, of course, that is so much harder because there are things that you cannot just, you know, text to speech, how to convey meaning in text when you are doing something so visual. We know there are experiments out there doing that, but let's be honest, it's so much harder to make a design and prototype into 100% accessible. And yeah, there are things you can do. The same way there are things we can do to have native right to left support in languages. It's just caring about that and not just, again, this is the incentives typically are not there. I think is the right way to put it is look for where there are no incentives and you'll probably find a better, more fair, a fair product to build. <laughs> like the negative incentive system. Okay, look for that and see where it leads to. Talking about your Kaleidos products, you've mentioned Taiga and PenPods. Yeah, I would want to know, like, what's next for this product? Like, we have been following up since I think we started this podcast a couple of years ago. Yeah, it has been nice seeing both of those journeys. So we'll have to know what's next for them. I know an event about PenPod is coming. Oh, yes. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'll start with PenPod. So yeah, PenPod Fest is coming. Barcelona, June 28th to 30th. I think... I'm actually able to reveal here that we will have in this welcoming party at this Modernista Terrace, this building, Casa de Punches, which is it's an amazing venue to have a welcome party on Wednesday evening. But then the main venue is the consecrated 
Gothic convent with, with its main chapel and the Renaissance chapel. And it's just beautiful in the very center of Barcelona. So that is happening, but just beyond the venues and beyond the food and the city of Barcelona, it's great for us because we are going to be able to participate in relevant conversations about the future of design and development being brought together using open source and open standards. So there are open source communities just coming to this event, joining forces and see, because there's a lot at stake at this time. And that actually is a nice segue to what is coming in terms of the product. In terms of the product, we are about to release grid layout. So it's now in, in testing stage. So for people that might not be familiar with grid layout, you have Flexbox CSS and you have Grid CSS. And there are a ton of tutorials and videos out there saying, which is better? And always the answer is depends and you can actually combine them both. Well, actually you will be able to do that in Pempod. You will be able as a designer to just build your designs using both Flex and Grid CSS design artifacts. And then Pempod just natively is making sure that is the code that you get for developers. So Flexbox, Flex CSS, Flex Layout is already there. We are releasing Read Layout. I don't think we will be ready by Pempot Fest, but we will make sure that you really enjoy some kind of announcement or something like that. I mean, the repo is public, so you can actually go and test it yourself. <laughs> no spoilers being in open source these days, but yeah, it's there. Also, there are important community efforts that we are supporting uh, around desktop slash offline Pempot ports. So multi-OS desktop experience. That's great. We're also working on advanced components. So we are redoing the whole component system. It's also in testing stage at the moment. When I say testing means that the team is so happy with what they built that they are now launching like a separate early access beta testing process where we invite members of the community to try it out and give feedback. And then we are able to polish the final feature, well, the final, quote unquote, final, never final, right? So it is quite mature at this stage, but because of the need to polish, we typically give us like a couple of months before we say it's done and it's really done. But then of course, we are already building the plugin architecture so that anyone should be able to build on top of Pempot. And also there are a ton of efforts around performance because it's very important that we have the fastest design prototyping tool on earth. And finally, the wildcard that is AI. So we are launching internal and external challenges around AI. I think let's discuss that separately because I think it's very important. It's also quite relevant for Pempot Fest, by the way. And then Taiga is targeting August the 4th, something like that for their alpha. This is like the major release after a couple of years of revamping the whole thing. And it's about lean, agile processes, Kanban, streamlines, user stories, mega productivity for the agile team, cross-functional teams, design and development. And at some point we will be merging Taiga and Pempo together so that you will have this fluid relationship between scope and design. For me, that will be like a dream come true because for years I've thought that design was left out of scope negotiation, that we would still discuss scope in projects, text-based, engineer-driven, all that. And design would have to take that and then think of that instead of being the first voice that you hear. Like, what do designers think about a feature or a scope? 
And I think whenever we are able to merge Taiga into Pempod, Pempod into Taiga, there will still be two separate tools, but you will get that multiplex conversation between design and scope. And I think that will give first-class citizenship for designers into product management and scope negotiation. And I think that will be a huge leap forward. Yeah, it's exciting to see this kind of design intelligence unfolding within a design software. I've seen here and there attempts to integrate this versioning for design files, just as yeah. like open source code. So we'd love to have a peek on that if it does in your mind as well. Yeah, there are many other things around that, around design systems, design tokens, versioning, using your repositories as your storage level layer. But the major features are about plugin architecture, performance, features that bring designers closer to developers, and then this confluence with Taiga. But of course, versioning of designs, that is necessary because if not, again, designers and developers are going to work together in a great way, right? Yeah. And I think there's one thing that Pemper is doing right. It's taken us time, but I think we are on the right track, which is bringing best practices from engineering best practices from software architecture into design to speed up how designs can really truly scale up. Still making sure that designers are in control. It would be bad for developers. And this is actually a risk in all the tools and all the processes that developers will say, I'm growing impatient and I'm going to commoditize design. I'm going to design myself because I'd rather do it myself and not wait for a designer to actually come with something that I like. So we are trying to hijack into that toxic relationship and make sure that developers enjoy the design process because they find themselves in familiar terms, in familiar territory when they go to the design tool without taking away any of the ownership and agenda and agency from designers. So it's sometimes it's quite like metaphysics, to be honest. But yeah, versioning, absolutely. Yeah, I mentioned version because I think it's something very important for the cooperative open source mindset within design, like being able to build on top of someone else's work and launch your work so more people can build up on that and have like that sense of community contribution and not just proposing changes and a team yeah. asynchronously applying some of them and or reinterpret some of them. So yeah, that takes me to ask you about like, what do you think about the future of not just open source design, but design in general, in terms of these new trends of sharing information, you know, making accessible for everyone, for someone to use a tool, for someone to read a piece of data. Like everything is becoming like more accessible, like these borders of knowledge are, in my opinion, starting to get obsolete. So love to know your take on what do you think about the future of collaboration for creativity? Well, I tend not to mistake the abundance of content or information with true accessibility of means. And there's always the risk of that you don't really own the means. And so I will always be concerned about becoming drunk in terms of, oh, I have all this content. And then somehow you have kind of a glass ceiling on how you're able to participate successfully in the conversation and what the tools that you have. So I'm just saying that we're a caution. I understand that some barriers are like now lower, but could be like a marriage. I think for me, what is most important about design is 
that it has to be powerful design. There is a risk simply because we designers are outnumbered. I think design is cool and it has a inherent weakness. It's cool in the sense that it's the way technology meets society. There are many definitions of design, but design is capable of making sure that there is this joyful interaction with the user or society technology. Again, many definitions, this is just what one. But the inherent weakness is that everyone has an opinion on design. Everyone can think about something in terms of very subjective line of thought. And that is a constant exposure to people that might not understand the reasons why that design is what it is in the first place. So I think it's very important that whatever tools or other stuff we build, it's about giving more power and agency to designers and to design. And, I, and I'm not sure we're doing that. <laughs> I'm not entirely <laughs> sure we are doing fine. Do you think anyone can be a designer? I think, what does it take to be a designer? There's yeah. a broad definition there. Can everyone potentially be a developer or a coder? Yes. So I think it's, what does it take? Or can any designer own their future? Can any designer, if they want to, really feel independent, autonomous, powerful in their processes and decision-making processes? Or are there constant threats to that that are not found elsewhere? And why is that? And if the answer is, yeah, there is something wrong or potentially wrong, then what are the roles for tools to mitigate that? Tools are tools. We all know that. But when you build a tool, you infuse it with your own agenda. You allow some things to happen and you ignore all the stuff like, no, you cannot do this with a tool. Again, strong opinions build tools. And I think when we're building Taiga or we're building Pempod, we are very conscious of what we are allowing or accelerating and what we are kind of very politely ignoring. Like this is not a priority. And for instance, it is very important for us that developers come to the design process, but don't hijack it. They just are part of it embrace it, respect it, love it, but they don't suddenly hijack it. So the tools that we're building have that in mind. And I think that is why I said AI is a completely different, a separate topic, because it is quite tricky. You might have a powerful open source AI that does not commoditize, but democratizes, but also you can have corporate owned, shortcut driven AI design tools that are a trap <laughs> for designers. So yeah, where we, do you stand for, right? I was going to add the whole thought on collaboration and trying to like bring design to the limelight, like how development has been really measured, like product management and merging Tiger and Pimpods and then the whole virtually that Memo mentioned. I think these are like really important things encouraging like new designers coming into the space because we as designers, we've always had this whole background of starting out very isolated. And then we're now learning to be more collaborative as compared to how the developers and engineers actually started out their development and engineering career, which is a lot more robust and a lot more collaborative as compared to design. So having conversations like this, I think in the long run would do a lot of good in design space. 
and make it more accessible and more collaborative for more designers to come into the space and also make it more fun because I can imagine like having tools that have like fashioning and making more collaborative for like open source projects. It just makes it easier for people to like find these projects and like make contributions to them. So now I think where this is leading me is I'm curious to know what pinpot plans are with like community and where the team currently is with like building out its own community around its own product. Because I know one thing for sure that a lot of products that have been built so far that have been built around community mm-hmm. has done the job in like having this very committed community to the tool and then growing it out from there, more like increasing awareness for the tool and getting more people to be aware and use the tool. I'm curious to know what Beanpot's ideologies are in that angle with onboarding more people to using the tool. Well, I think the way we are trying to achieve relevance, which is another way to put it in terms of having a big community, but also the quality of the community is very important, is making sure that we have cracked this relationship between designers and developers so that they try a pen pot. They enjoy this new relationship, this new conversation that they spread out the word. Like they say, I'm not going back to the old tools. I'm making sure that whenever I have the chance to say, this is the new way for designers and developers to collaborate. If that works, the community, I mean, it's not magic, but the community should grow organically very fast. And the moment you know that there is a this ratio between one designer per 10 developers, tend to more or less that, that those are the numbers. If developers actually enjoy this new way of participating in the design process, that's 10 times as many designers lobbying hard for an open source design prototyping tool. Even if they initially don't find themselves like the primary target of the tool, the moment they realize no, actually, you are the primary target of the role too, the tool too. That should also spread like fire. Now, that would only serve the purposes of user base. That would be step number one, stage number one, user base. But then I think very early on, we've made very explicitly the fact that we need people to contribute core code contributions, translations, plugins, libraries, templates. And we had bandwidth for that. We make sure to have bandwidth for that and help people on board the different stages of collaboration because we cannot do this on our own. I'm going to be very honest about this. We don't plan to be 1,000 employees. Our strength is to have a small compact team with a clear focus and vision and then a distributed community that also benefits from this participant process where they're happy contributing because their own 100% 100% of our result. So we are making sure that we are doing this too. Now, there are things that you can do to accelerate that, like showcasing contributions, having a kind of marketplace of levers and templates and plugins, things like that, because people really enjoy looking at that marketplace and say, oh, my library is ranked number five. I want to become number four. I don't know. There's this incentive but I think that for us is not a priority right now. I think first we need to make sure that we build something that really people, this these hybrid teams love. At the same time, involve the community in a very honest, full duplex way. And then eventually we'll find the ways where you have that extra bonus that 
makes some portion of the community really excited and contribute, like perhaps, yeah, showcasing contributions, marketplaces, things like that. But I think that's why we're so excited about Penpot Fest because it's in a way it's a it's a gathering of different communities, and we want to learn from existing communities that have been doing this for twenty years now. I sent fifteen dollars to Blender, the free Blender project back in twenty o two. I mean, Blender is mm-hmm. for us is like a beacon. So we're having people from Blender, from Inkscape, from Godot, very potent communities and open source products from which we will learn a lot. That's great. So sounds really exciting. And it has been a great conversation. Probably we all are really grateful for you to give us like some peaks of the path forward for these tools. It's Again, great to see you guys growing and evolving your practice. So yeah, for this time around, I guess we need to wrap up and we do that to sharing some projects that we love that we are not part of. This section is called the spotlight and I can kick it off with project I'd like to use, product I'd like to use to design as well. It's Draw. It's a... Free version. It has a pro paid version, but it's pretty much free version, excalitra.com. And I like it because it fills the gap of bringing ideas from pen and paper to digital tools without feeling that you go straight to the UI design after conceptualizing something. So that's the value I see on that. Django, do you want to shed some light on the project? Absolutely. And I just got a little bit distracted because I'd never heard of Excaladraw and now it's sitting in my bookmarks bar. That's fantastic. I'd like to spotlight something that has nothing to do with my design work, but since it is also a part of me, maybe it has everything to do with it. I play D&D a lot. It's something that has a lot of meaning for me. It bettered my storytelling in everything and honestly improved the way that I communicate with the world around me. And it's also fun because there's dragons in it. And the project Open5e has a really wonderful player's manual and DM handbook that's entirely open online and open source, and you can literally do the whole thing in a view app. And it's great and integrates with a lot of other existing projects so that you can run virtual tabletop anywhere in the world. It was extremely helpful during some recent lockdown and COVID. Been great. So yeah, Open5e. If you're listening, thank you for everything. And if you're interested, go check them out. I'm going to check that out right now. Thanks, Django. Keith, do you want to share project? So I'm going to have to be like selfish on this podcast because like Oscar Fest is literally around the corner. So I don't think I can spotlight any other thing other than that for now. So for today, I'm spotlighting like Oscar Fest. That's like our third open source festival that we posted in Africa and it's been very stressful planning it. Can you imagine what stress Pablo is going through right now planning? Yeah. It's just been fun and yeah, my spotlight today is Oscar Fest. And I'm also spotlighting Pinpot Fest as well. I'm really looking forward. I hope I get my visa. I'm looking forward to be present there as well. And it's exciting to like get to hear about the great work that the team has been putting in uh, behind the scenes. So you're going, I'm so envious. I'm going at the conferences. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, me too. I'm attending Oscar. I've got my flight tickets to Lagos. And of course, yeah, I'll be attending Pempot Fest, of course. So yeah, it's going to be cool. So I think I go next. I was thinking of Ushahidi, but right now 
a lot of people probably know this citizen driven, you know, this mapping, open source mapping citizen tool for, um, yeah, civil conflicts, but also natural disasters and being able to leverage the power of collaborative mapping. But in terms of, I'll just go and say Svelte. Svelte is a, an open source JavaScript framework, which I really love. My background is in backend development. So I'm a Python developer and I was always wary of frontend development. Oh, that's, I'm feeling lazy about doing that. And Svelte, I loved it from day one. So I really encourage backend developers wanting to feel like full stack developers to try out Svelte. I think it's a cool, cool project. It's not like the fancy big names, although it's getting there. Uh, but yeah, pretty I mean, big fan of Svelte. Excellent. All right. So Pablo, thanks again for joining us today. Muchas gracias. Thank um, you. We'll love to have you here once again in the future, talking more stuff about the new years of Pempot and Taiga. So yeah, that'll, that'll be it for everyone listening to us. You can follow our podcast pretty much everywhere. You can just search in any engine, sustain open source design. That's how you find us. We are in Twitter on their Sustain OSS. So yeah, feel free to reach out and let us know your thoughts. Yeah, I guess that's it. Thank you guys. And this was lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That was great.